Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. And Jeremy Green. Hello. And I'm Ruben Lerner. And if you've been freelancing for any amount of time at all, this will probably sound familiar. You talk to a client, everything sounds great. And you give your price in some way, shape, or form. And they say, oh, that is fantastic, except if, can you just give us a little discount? <laughs> um, and thus <laughs> begins the road to hell. Because uh, <laughs> even with the best clients, you're going to end up having to negotiate with them in some way, shape, or form, be it on price or be it on something else. So this show, we're going to talk about uh, what's involved there, what we are and are not willing to be flexible on, and some strategies for negotiating with clients so that um, you can have that horrible, horrible phrase, but appropriate here, a win-win situation. <laughs> okay, shoot me now, shoot me now. Um, Synergy. <laughs> oh, no. So so let, 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 let me phrase this in like the easiest possible way, and then we'll go deeper than this. So do you negotiate on price with your clients when they ask you for a discount? Absolutely not. But No. Yes. <laughs> but I will negotiate things, but not price which is a common misconception about you know, a lot of people think I'm a real hard case when it comes to negotiation. I'm perfectly happy to meet people in the middle, but I will not do so on price. I'll negotiate other things. What about you, Ruben? So, so I, I am sometimes very rarely now willing to negotiate on price. Um, and I, the, the, I mean, the way it typically works in Israel is like a client will talk to me, everything sounds great. And then they'll say, okay, We've got a deal. And then the purchasing department calls. And the purchasing department in Israeli company exists for one reason, one reason only, which is to negotiate on price. I know what they want. And, and so I'll say, no, I don't negotiate. And they'll say, no, that can't be. And I'll say, okay, I don't negotiate. And truth be told, Israeli companies expect you to negotiate. So they are sort of flabbergasted by this. And usually I don't give any ground. Like they just, they've never experienced a company that won't. Like it's just sort of outside of the culture. Um, but I've gotten tougher and tougher about this. And I think about six months ago, I worked with a company and I ended up like agreeing to a $10 discount per day, something that was like so laughably small because the woman said, listen, if you don't give us a discount, I cannot get this approved. I must be able to show that I negotiated you down on something. 
So that's sort of the limit of where I'll negotiate on. But otherwise, um, I sort of hold my ground. And I've been pleasantly surprised to discover that after their initial shock wears off, um, they're, they're willing to pay. That's been my experience. Uh, what, what about you, Jeremy? <laughs> yeah, I've I am now at the point where I just will not negotiate on price. I've you know tried to in the past, and I really can't think of any instances where I was ultimately happy with what came of those negotiations or yeah. how the engagement ended up. Um, it, it's just not good. It I I think it, especially if you're trying to be. Um, a consultant and not just a contractor, I think it sets you up to have the the client see you as somebody that they can push around and that they can dictate all the, you know, all sorts of other terms of the engagement at that point. And that's really not where I want to be. Um, I want to be, you know, engaging them as equals um, peers and not somebody that they can just dictate terms to. Right. You don't want to be seen as like an employee to be told what to do, because if, if you let them if you let them kind of boss you around in the sales process, it should come as no surprise when they boss you around on the project, which yep. is where micromanaging comes from and scope creep and all that. Uh, so it's kind of like if you don't want to be micromanaged later, if, you, if you're planning on standing up for yourself in a design meeting where they're telling you to make the logo bigger, you might as well start standing up for yourself in the negotiation process up front, which isn't to say you shouldn't negotiate anything. It's fine to negotiate, I think. And it's, it's, um, you know, to a certain extent, people, you know, client might have certain realities that they need to deal with and you can work with them to kind of make the, maybe help the engagement get kicked off in some kind of what, you know, it might be some sort of a cash flow thing or a timing thing. And I, I'm willing to work with people on that, but I just will always steer the conversation away from the price because if they're thinking about the price, if they're if they're focusing on that, they're they're focusing on the wrong thing, in my opinion. And they should they are essentially focusing if they're focusing on the price, they're trying to compare me to something else to which I do not want to be compared. So they're trying to compare mm -hmm. apples to apples. And I will just refuse to do that, but not in a um not in a dig your heels in kind of way, more like a you know, somebody say, Hey, you know, we really, we, we, thanks for the proposal. We really like option two, but we want to pay the price for option one to get option two. And <laughs> I'll say, there's a bunch of things you can say to that. I wrote an entire book on what to say when people ask you for discounts. And if, if they, if they say something like that, the, the basic answer that always is appropriate is to politely decline, just politely say no. And you will be surprised to learn that that piece of backbone, if you want to call it, will a lot of times flip the switch for the person. Like, wow, this person really stands out. This person isn't like everyone else. This person isn't willing to do whatever I say. That could be a deal breaker, which is probably means you dodged a bullet. Or it, yep. could, it could make you stand out from the crowd. Be like, oh, this person stands for something. This person knows what they're worth. Or they at least pre present themselves with confidence in their value. So, huh, hmm. you know, that might be, if this is an important project, that might be the, the straw that sort of, uh, tips things in your favor. 
So I'm going to disagree with you a little bit here, which it, it, just in that, at least in my work, because I'm not dealing directly with CEOs or like high level managers, the people who are hiring me are typically these training managers and they do have some, they, they have leeway over the budget. Um, and the purchasing department may be like, they're doing the final stuff and they have nothing to do with the training. Like the purchasing department, I only hear from them basically when these negotiations happen, like they give me a call. And after that, they, they might as well disappear off the face of the planet as far as I'm concerned. Like I, I literally have nothing to do with them. So I don't have to worry about anyone's like perception of me of being a pushover or not because like the two things are fairly separate. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That, that said though, like I have been, I, I think they've been so surprised when I say, no, I'm not going to negotiate on price. And they're like, but don't you want the work? <laughs> And I, I say, yeah, but, but like, and, and fortunately, really, like fortunately in, because my training is scheduled pretty far in advance, like I can say to them, well, I, I'm actually pretty fully scheduled. And if you don't want these dates, then someone else will want them. And like, that basically does it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like They have right. nothing more yep. to say. And, and they basically are going to, so and now the, the other thing is that I'm going to disagree with you slightly on is at least again, in my case, it is an apples to apples comparison. I'm not trying to say that because, oh, all teachers are the same, all trainers are the same. I would like to think I'm giving the higher quality product. But at the end of the day, like the purchasing department especially is going to say, well, like, so we won't get this Python trainer, we'll get a different Python trainer. Maybe the training manager will push for me to do it. And that's always very nice and flattering. But they do see it as something of a commodity market where we have a few different options. Um and it depends on sort of you know how many uh, fans you have in the company who are willing to push for you as opposed to someone else. But I don't think they feel like oh it's either this guy or or no one. But it does work. But it, you're saying that it might not work for you, but it does work for you. So it does work for me, right? Right. I don't exactly. I mean, yes, yes, because I think at the end of the day, um, first of all, there aren't as many Python trainers as they would like to think. <laughs> um, and I guess. Um, you know, a lot of times these these gigs get to me through recommendations and referrals. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I guess maybe those are worth more than I thought. Um, but well, I know there's lots of talking internally when I give these strong no's. Well, think think what has to happen on their end if they were going to go with someone else. Now they have to reinstitute the search. Like they already have someone who they they, for whatever reason, maybe it's the referral or whatever, maybe it's your marketing materials. They already you're already the guy. Like they know, they just want to get to the next thing. They don't want to, they don't care really, they probably. They just want to get to the next thing. This is a to-do on their list they want to check off in the situation you're talking about. And, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not, I'm not in that situation, but that's what it sounds like to me. And they just want to get it over with and move on to the next thing and, you know, go have lunch. So if you are going to, uh, it, it, I think, I think you're, imagining that it would be easier to replace you than you think even though maybe although like when i was speaking to this company just like a few days ago and they're like well we don't know like and they they even said there is another company that is cheaper than you Mm -hmm. um that we're thinking of using because like because your prices are high can you maybe give us a discount that'll offset that no, like I would say no. You should hire the other people. If if the and if, I, I said no. <laughs> yeah, and I, what happened? And I, I was I was totally shocked that they came back to me and said, "Yeah, we want you." Yeah. So let this be a lesson, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Because and then I'll say that if somebody says to me, like, I will not. So I try to surface this stuff early in the conversation, where 
I'll immediately start out if if I don't if I have for some reason have the impression that I'm essentially getting called into you know quote on RFP or something like that like that there's that there are a bunch of people in the running for a gig which really doesn't after a while that stops happening but if you know early on that can happen and if somebody ever says to me like well you're you're more than double the next highest price option I'll say yeah and dead silence right yes I, if you if you're looking right. for the cheapest option it's definitely not me I'm tell you that right now and it makes them think like oh all right and again it filters out like if you if you're a true price buyer who is going to go with the cheapest option like a government a lot of times a government or higher ed will do this like they're they're almost forced to go with the lowest hourly rate you know because they assume that that's going to equate to the cheapest which of course it doesn't but that's what they assume then fine that's a, probably a bad client it's a bad client for me anyway it's a bad client for people who are actually good at stuff and actually can help people and aren't just showing up to dig holes you know so you know to, to just be told what to do so you know i on the one hand you you know i i all of your doubts, Ruben, all of the doubts that you present and the situation that you present, rationally, yeah, it makes sense that that it's different and it would be hard because you're not talking to the true buyer and so on and so forth. And yet your experience is that you don't negotiate and it still you're booked solid. So, you know, what does that say? Right. No, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, like I've definitely discovered that non-negotiating still works and maybe here and there I've lost some clients as a result, but I don't think I've lost very many. And, and I agree with you where like those that I might've lost were just not worth it. They, they would have been more hassle than benefit. Right. And when you get and the thing about clients is when they're good and, and when you have a good relationship, when it's a good fit, things work They They keep hiring you and they refer you to other people who are like them. So if you have a bunch of bad clients who you, uh-huh. you know, you do bad, you know, you do work for in a, in, in an, uh, an arrangement that you find is not equitable, but Hey, I got to keep the lights on. So I'm working with this bad client. They recommend you to their bad friends. So <laughs> you end up getting bad leads <laughs> yeah. and it creates this, vir- this, this vicious cycle. You want the virtuous cycle where you say, you know, I understand, you know, you have to have cash flow, you have to pay your rent and all that. So you do want to have a baseline of income that allows you to have the confidence to 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 recognize a bad deal and say no to it and sort of stick to your guns. And that is that's how you climb out of the what Philip Morgan calls the crab bucket. You know, it's like everybody trying to pull you back down if you try and go for the lip. So, you know, that's <laughs> that's the thing you have to it's you're either going to keep going down or you can start climbing out. Yeah, you definitely don't want those those uh, recommendations where the the person is telling the people that they're recommending you to that. Oh man, I got this guy so cheap; mm-hmm. he, it's great. Like that's yeah, run away from that. I'm always nervous about that. By the way, like I'm nervous. Oh, if I give a discount to someone, that they'll talk, and I don't think they're going to talk that much. But all you need is one person to start doing that, and the the like it's like a house of cards just falls down. Hmm. Yeah. Well, even if you do it with one client. So let's say somebody comes along first time around and let's just say you give them, I don't know, what's, what's the best example? Let's say we'll do it hourly. Let's say some, you come to somebody, they come to you and they say, Hey, we heard you do WordPress. What's your hourly rate? You say, Oh, it's a hundred bucks an hour. Ooh, Ooh, we were, 
we we only budgeted um, we only budgeted seventy five dollars an hour for that, but we have a lot of work, and if this goes well, then we can you know we we're going to keep hiring you. We're going to have a lot more work. And you say, well, you're thinking to yourself, well, mm, I haven't gotten any leads in a while. Maybe I should just take this. And now, okay, great. Now you've created a customer who knows that who you're never going to be able to raise your rates. It's never going to happen. Like you're going to be $75 an hour for them forever. And they're going to recommend you to other people. Well, never. Yeah. We've already said they're going to recommend you to other people and say, make sure you fight them on the, on the hourly rate. He'll come down to 75. So, okay, great. Now imagine you're giving fixed bids. So you say, they say, Hey, we hear you do WordPress. We need, we've got this WordPress project. Uh, what's your hourly rate? Oh, I don't have an hourly rate. I'll give you a price for the project. Let's talk about the project. You do that. You give them $10,000 for the project. Ooh, ah, well, our, we only budgeted 7,500. How about that? And you go back and forth and finally you cave for the same reasons because you need the money. All right, 7,500. You have now required them to fight you on every single price you ever give them in the future because they would be remiss to not do so because you do cave. So if you cave on price once, You've ruined that client for yourself, in, yeah. in, in my humble opinion. Yeah. So if they actually seem like a good client and they seem like somebody who you really want to keep around, might be a nice long-term relationship for you. you. You groove with them. You've got some mutual friends or something like that. The last thing you want to do is give them a discount because they're the kind of people that you want to keep around for a long time and you want it, you want it to be equitable for a long time. So if you if you sort of undercut yourself at the very beginning, you're not going to be able to keep working with this awesome client because you can't afford to after a while. It's it's like ugh, it's unbelievable. It's like super super self-destructive. Yeah. And but there is something that you can do to not you know, come across as just a complete hard ass. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I'm unwilling to give any ground. Uh, and if you're doing project fees, as opposed to hourly rates, it's a lot easier. You can remove scope. Mm -hmm. And I've had great luck with that, with, you know, people that I knew were going to be good clients. Uh, you know, I quoted a project fee for all the things that they said that they want done. And then, of course, it's after I've already quoted a fee that they actually tell me what their budget is. <laughs> uh, and so then at that point, it's it's like, OK, well, you know, it's weird that two weeks ago when I asked, you said you didn't have a budget. You were willing to spend as much as you needed to get it done. But OK, now here we are and we know a budget. Uh, but OK, we can start removing things from the scope and we're not going to do as much. And that's going to get it at your budget, but you're not going to get all of the things that you're at, that you asked for. And, you know, you, I, I try to, to find the things that I think are either, um, not that useful for their project to, to actually, you know, hit the goals that they have, uh, or things that are kind of in the nice to have column. Um, you know, like I've, I've told clients before that my initial quote was, you know, you're going to, I'm going to build this app for you. It's going to have complete test coverage. Uh, it's going to be deployed in these ways with the, these monitoring solutions. Uh, and then when they come back and say, oh, it turns out we have a budget, um, say, okay, well, you know, the, the test coverage, I'm not going to guarantee that it's going to be 100%. I'm going to write a few tests that I think are the most helpful to make sure that this doesn't break in the future when 
you know, somebody else tries to work on it, but I'm not going to guarantee 100% coverage. Uh, you're going to have less monitoring on the deployment than you might otherwise want, but it's going to be live by your deadline and it's going to be within your budget. Yeah. Um, and, you know, making very clear that, okay, I'm, I'm willing to, to meet you where you need to be on price, but that comes at a penalty to you. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to shoulder the burden of giving you everything you want for the price that you want. We have to, this has to be a two way negotiation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's totally valid. It's a approach I would take too. Where so the classic case of like, oh, I want option two for the price of option one. I'll be like, well, okay, what I, I must have misunderstood something in the, in the <laughs> conversation. I thought these things were all important or I thought, you know, uh, I, I thought that this project was more important to the organization than it appears to be. You know, can you explain to me why you're only willing to invest this small amount of money in what I thought you told me was a critical piece of infrastructure <laughs> for the next 10 years. But okay, I get that. You really say those things? Oh, yeah. You really say course. those things? Mm -hmm. like, yeah. I mean, uh, in a, you know, in a, a sort of polite questioning way, like uh, Columbo, you know, like, can you help me understand, like, why am I, did I hear you wrong? You said that this was critical, a critical piece of the next 10 years of your business. Like, this is a foundational piece of the business you're going all in on mobile the future is mobile but you've only got five thousand dollars to invest in that is that this seems like a disconnect you know mm -hmm. and you're usually not going to get them to be like oh yeah you're right it should be fifty thousand but what you might do is find out that they're exactly like jeremy's saying like there might be pieces that they perceive to be more high value from that option two, not everything from option two, but there might be a couple of things in option two that they really want from that bundle of, of benefits and features. Say, oh, there's a couple of things. Yeah, you're right. But there's a couple of things in option two that we really, really think we need. And we're like, all right, uh, I, you know, what I will do is I will put together, I'd like I would have a little bit more conversation around that. And then I would say to them, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I just did a bad job quoting this. I misunderstood some things about, you know, your, your, your needs. I didn't have enough information. I'm going to requote this. And I'll send you a fresh proposal. And usually when I do that, it happens very rarely. But when it does, I would send them a new proposal with exactly with no options because we've already gone through the options phase. I've already found out the budget and I'll give them the pieces that they need for the price that they've got to the extent that I can. But it will be but exactly like Jeremy said, it will be a lot. You know, there will be a bunch of pieces taken out of the original option too, and sort of it's essentially it's a brand new proposal. But now I, I, we've had a much more transparent conversation about what their actual goals are and what their budget is, and I've got a better picture of what it's going to take from me to achieve those goals and all that. So really, it's it's a situation of them being playing their cards really close to the chest in the initial meeting, and. To be honest, it's usually it usually doesn't turn out when this happens. It's usually I'd say fifty percent of the time, not usually, but about half the time, it turns out to be not the greatest client because they weren't really that forthright at the beginning. Uh, they're very sort of standoffish and and or either exaggerating or underplaying certain things. Uh, but for whatever reason, we we were we don't we weren't communicating well, which is usually a relatively bad sign for a collaboration. So you mentioned before, uh, Jonathan, that so you don't negotiate on money, like if ask for a discount, but there are other things you can do. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what what are those things? 
Well, scope like, what, like what scope is, is one. The scope is one, mm -hmm. but that's actually one that I don't use that often. Um, but I suppose that's because I don't really, you know, that I, I got away from development over the years. So it was more like the thing that I would normally negotiate is the payment terms. So, and, and this has been like, like just a, every single, <laughs> pretty much every single quote, this is my standby. This is my go-to negotiation. So for, for all proposals that I've given for years and years, it's been for any kind of project, it's been three options, all fixed price and a hundred percent upfront. And it's, which is hilarious to be, I mean, just like blows people's minds when they're used to billing hourly in arrears for work that's been done previously. But I'll say, <laughs> nope, hundred percent upfront and, and literally $200,000 project, hundred percent upfront. And, and people are like, but everyone must say no to that. And guess what? Only about 20% of clients say no to it. Um, it depends of course on the kind of business who you're talking to inside the company and the, the actual dollar amount relative to their, uh, basic budget. But a lot of times people just want to lock you in and they're like, yeah, great. Fixed price. We'll take it. Boom. They'll give you hundred percent. Sometimes people will say, uh, that's, we've never done that before. How about we do 50, 50, like 50 upfront and 50 on completion. And then I'll say, well, uh, I'm willing. Yes, let's talk about that. I'd rather I'm, I'm open to doing two payments 50 50. I'd rather not force you guys into a sign off situation. Because software, you know, if we're talking about software specifically, uh, there are probably going to be things that crop up after sign off. And, you know, there'll be weird corner cases that didn't come up in testing, there'll be all sorts of things. And, you know, my guarantee to you is bug free software. And I don't, you know, once you sign off, then if you come back to me with bugs, it's going to be a change order or a new PO or all that stuff. What I'd rather do is say 50% upfront, 50% in 30 days or 45 or 60 or depending on the length of the project, but on, in, on some specific date. And, and then we'll, I'll be, if there's a bug, I'll just fix it. There's no reason to go to your boss and say, hey, I need more money. There's a bug in the system. We forgot to blah, blah, blah. You don't have to go to your boss and, you know, spin some story about, oh, we didn't know. We did our best, but nobody. It's like, forget about sign off. I'm going to be, we're going to, we're going to knock this out of the park. And that's, that's the way I want to do it. I think it's better for you. It's better for me. And pff, everybody goes for that. They're like, yeah, yeah, fine. Whatever. Two payments. I don't care if it's you know, on sign off or whatever, some other date. But even even in the rare occasion when they would say like, nah, we really want to do it on sign off. I'll say, look, I don't care what date the second date is. You pick it. Pick any date that you think is reasonable. The pro You think the project will be done in some date. You pick it. I don't care. But just pick the date <laughs> I can get started on Monday. And they will, without fail, they will pick a date that's before you actually finish. Because <laughs> they will always underestimate how long it's going to take. When you start a new project, typically you need things like a domain name, hosting, things like that. When I choose hosting, I pick mine for the options it gives. I like to know what I'm getting and set things up just how I like them. This is why for your projects, you should check out Linode. Linode servers feature native SSD storage, a 40 gigabyte network, and Intel E5 processors. That's all the power you need to run VMs under full control or Docker containers, who doesn't love that, encrypted disks, and VPNs. Plus, they have 10 data centers across the world and add-ons like backups, node balancer, and long view to help you control your server costs. 
They also offer block storage for your static files, and you can get started with a $20 credit if you use the code FREELANCERSHOW2018. That credit is good for four months on their one gigabyte server. That's a lot of time to try them out and see if they're the right fit for you. That code again is FREELANCERSHOW2018. Also, if you're interested in working for Linode, they're hiring. Head to linode.com slash careers to see their available positions. They're probably surprised that you just keep going and you keep working and you keep fixing bugs. Right. Because they probably figure, okay, you've seen your last payment, like you're out of there. Right. But it's not, you know, but, uh, you know, it's like, that's not the way it works. And I, and I price it in a way that makes them not doubt that. So like the price, they'll be like, well, your price is way higher than everybody else. I'm like, yeah, because I guarantee no bugs like for, for 12 months or six months or whatever, be a bug free guarantee. And what that means is that I'm not going to cut corners during the, the process. I'm going to go in and that might not be the guarantee I give every time, but in, in plenty of cases, I'll say, look, I'm going to come in and fix this stuff anyway, because I would feel like a jerk if I, you know what I mean? I think everybody's got that feeling like, oh, I'm so embarrassed by this bug. <laughs> right. So right. Yeah. you probably fix it for free anyway. So you, you probably already kind of guarantee your work. You just don't make it explicit. So if they say, uh, your prices are so high, I'm like, yeah, but I guarantee my work. You find one person out there who's going to guarantee this project is bug free at the end and, you know, I'll eat my hat. You're not going to find it. I'm the only guy that's going to do it. So, you know, it's just all of these things, all of these things, standing up for your price, being the most expensive, guaranteeing your work is essentially all of this stuff projects confidence. It builds trust. And it, and it gives them a story to tell themselves and their superiors, whoever's approving the budget, that this person is different. This person knows what they're doing. This is the experience that we want. And it's going to attract, it's going to be attractive to the kinds of customers that you, you know, dream about. So, yeah. So, so in terms of negotiating, I'll negotiate terms all day long. And, you know, this is not the, it's not just 50, 50 is just one way. There are other ways so like, oh, I'll break the payment into months. If it's going to be you know, if it's a quarter of a million dollar project that's supposed to take place over the course of a year, I, I might be agreeing, agreeable to monthly payments for 12 months because I don't want a giant check in my account for a half million, a quarter million dollars or something. I'll, I'll get super creative with that stuff. But at the end of the day, they're paying me the same amount, like not negotiating price. And just to double check, because I'm sure there's some listeners who are less familiar with your work, right? These are not mom and pop operations to which you're saying, uh, I want payment upfront um, or in these two phases, right? These are large companies where, because like when I deal with large companies, they say to me, we pay net plus 60. Mm. And I've tried a few different ways to get them to not pay that way. And they're, they're not willing to budge, at least with me, but they are willing to budge with you or, and or maybe in the US it's better, but whatever it is. Like you have definitely gotten large companies to pay you up front, right? I'll tell you a story. So <laughs> one time, I, this is a speaking gig, so it's a little bit different. But it, it's, it's a story about big company making an exception. So it was the first speaking engagement. And let's say my price was $10,000. I think it was something It was something in the neighborhood of $10,000 for a speaking engagement. It was like, a, it was a prominent internal presentation to maybe a thousand people and big big you've heard of it like it's a big bank that you've heard of so i send the you know send the proposal ten thousand dollars 100 percent in advance and total freak out flat you know uh no way um we, we don't operate like that policy blah 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 and i'll say well 
you know, that's fine, but I have to start preparing for this talk. I have block out the calendar time. We're going to have meetings leading up to it. There's a lot of investment that is going to go into it on my end leading up to the engagement. And you'd be surprised how many people cancel them at the last minute for reasons that are out of everyone's control. So I, you know, so it's a hundred percent upfront. We don't do that. All right. You know, and, and, uh, these conversations took place over email, uh, over a course of weeks. It was, it was a couple of weeks. So we were both kind of invested in the sale. They were more invested in it than I was, I think, cause it was their event. And it was starting to get closer. So they were feeling, probably feeling some pressure. I didn't really care. Uh, it would have been nice, but it wasn't going to make my year or anything like that. So <laughs> as we got closer to the event, it started to get more heated and, 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 you know, I ended up on the phone, you know, I got sent up the chain, up the chain, up the chain. And eventually I got on the phone and I think what they, I think they, they said, Oh, put whatever the guy's name was, have him talk to whoever the, whoever the hard ass is. Like they were like, get the toughest negotiator on the phone. <laughs> and I just could see this guy in my mind, you know, in a, <laughs> in a thousand dollar suit or a $5,000 suit sitting in a New York penthouse office. Right. And leaning back in his chair. And he's like, yeah, I, we, we get where you're coming from, but we just don't do that here. We're not, we're not going to do that. We'll, we'll do 50% up front and 50% the day of the event. And I said, all right, but that puts more risk on me. And I'm sure, you know, you guys deal with risk on a daily basis. That means I'm going to have to increase the price if you want to do 50 up front and 50 day up. And he's like, all right, that's reasonable. And I said, okay, it'll be $20,000 for the talk, $10,000 up front, $10,000 day up. <laughs> And the guy just about hung up the phone on me, but they sent me $10,000. <laughs> just the one payment? Yep. <laughs> yeah, they totally did it. They were being ridiculous. They were spending so much time. They, these were they, like these people, probably salaries in the half million dollar a year range. And, you know, a ba banking sort of financial institution kind of thing that they're used to being in charge. And I was like, that's fine. I've given it some thought and I just can't make a business case for doing this. So if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Like we don't have to fight about it. This is, I'm just, but I'm, I'm, I'm giving you some options. If you, oh, you, know, you know what it was, I left out one part. He said, our system can't do it. That was, a, our system can't do a one ah. payment up front. I said, okay, we'll break it into two payments, but it'll be more expensive. <laughs> Can your system handle a $20,000? <laughs> so it, I, I, I always love, lying. I, I love the companies that say our policy is our system doesn't handle it. And I say to them, well, your policies were made by people, right? So the policies can probably be changed by people, right? <laughs> and, and they're never really happy with that. <laughs> uh, right. But, but like I say, there's like, they, they can't possibly be that there's no way around this. It, it must, must be possible in some way, shape or form. Mm. Yeah. If you're talking to the right, like a real economic buyer can get around this kind of stuff. Exceptions are made. Like if people want, to, if people are valuing what you're doing and they are making an investment in their business and they're, you know, and they see you as an expert. So there's no, there's some pretty big preconditions, but if those are true, exceptions can be made and will be made because they care, you know, and, and okay, maybe the numbers I'm using in the type of, you know, like a big national financial institution 
okay, maybe, maybe everyone listening to the show isn't operating at that level, but it still works. Like all that stuff still works. If the business is a regional restaurant chain, someone's going to say to you, we have a policy or a system doesn't. And then if you, if you have the, probably if you've got the money in the bank or the cash flow in place and it, you know, already, then standing up for yourself and having confidence and projecting that in a polite but firm way can actually unlock a lot of these doors that I find most people just assume they're are just part of doing business. Like, oh, I have to cave. Well, no, you don't. So I think, I can't remember which of you, maybe both of you. I mean, this sort of ties into what you had said, Jonathan, about uh, payment. But I think, Jeremy, you also said something about changing payment terms or, or negotiating on that rather than negotiating on, uh, uh, you know, on, on the actual amount of money. Have you ever done that? Um, I've mainly just used uh, the trick and trick may not be the right word, but um, <laughs> but just, you know, when people balk at price or paying up front, um, say, well, you know, all right, if you if you pay up front uh, 100 percent before the thing even starts, uh, I'll give you a 10 percent discount. And I, you know, will be very sure, very explicitly say that, you know, this isn't just a blanket discount. This is in exchange for you paying up front. Mm hmm. And and that's worked. I, you know, I've I've definitely had people that were at first, you know, not loving the idea of 100 percent upfront payment and really push back on it. But then when I say, OK, I'll, I'll give you a discount if you do it, um, then all of a sudden it's not as big a deal as it was just a few minutes ago. Yeah. The, the, the other party wants to feel like you're working with them. You know, you're mm -hmm. collaborating, collaborating with them already. You're already collaborating with them and doing this sort of back and forth that is probably going to be the kind of thing that you have to do in the engagement. So it's, it really sends the right message. So I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm really not anti-negotiation. It's just that I won't do it about price. I'm happy to negotiate these other things. Yeah, I definitely heard the, the like, you know, pay me up front. And I'll give you a discount thing. And I've, I've toyed with that in the past because a lot of my clients and uh, they, they do insist, like I've really tried every which way, but they will not pay me for the most part. The Israeli companies won't pay me in less than net plus 45 or net plus 60. But most of them are net plus 60. And, you know, I, I've, I've explained all sorts of things. The giving them a discount for early payment, that might set off a light that they're willing to deal with. Um but truth be told, I figure like I'm just sort of used to the net plus 60 payment now. And I've got enough sort of I've, I've got two months ago's training payment coming in this month and last month's coming in next month. So as long as I sort of have a, a, a continuous feed, as it were, of clients, you know, a continuous pipeline, then it's not so bad. It's annoying, but it's not so bad. Um, that said, I would definitely prefer to get it sooner rather than later. And you know, sort of like I, I guess I mentioned before we started recording, like the company I was dealing with, like their income is so gargantuan compared to mine that it's it's just to call it a rounding error is to exaggerate its scope. Mm -hmm. uh, it, <laughs> um, and, and, they're, and they're just being difficult, right? They're just basically saying we have this system, we can squash you. And I mean, one company that I deal with, I, I get these, um, you know, supplier letters every so often. Dear supplier, we're so happy working with you. <laughs> and like, you know. <laughs> 
I'm like, it's just me, Ruben, here coming in and giving you training. And you know, this company recently said, so they're a hardware company. And so they have direct suppliers and indirect suppliers. So I'm an indirect supplier. I was like, so what's a direct supplier? As the people providing the sand to make the chips, right? Like <laughs> those are the suppliers they're dealing with. And I am such like a, you know, a, a, a dot on the pimple of the of, of the face of the, the, the company. Um, and yet I have to play by the same rules in many ways. So giving them a discount for early payment, I think that's language that they can speak. Just saying, but it's just poor old me, little old me, why don't you pay me early? That They'll just laugh at that or more probably ignore it. Well, one of the things I say to people who are just can't, it's just too breathtaking for them to imagine asking for 100% upfront uh, is is like, well, don't plan on getting it. Like you might, you be surprised and you just get it. People just be like, all right, where do I send the check? Okay, great. But you're giving, you're, you're asking for something more than you actually need so that you've got something that's just right there ready to be negotiated. So it's kind of, kind of like, marking up your price knowing that you're going to discount it but to me that's a that there's something different about messing around with the price negotiation because once once you've done that it's going to affect the the rest of the, the relationship like we talked about before the pricing terms those will like once you guys have worked together or gals have worked together with this client they're going to trust you so much more you're going to do an amazing job they're going to be super happy they're going to have positive, you know, they're going to realize positive ROI. They're going to want more and they're not going to care about the payment terms anymore. So they're going to, they're going to, next time you say a hundred percent upfront, they're going to remember last time you negotiated or whatever. They're not going to care anymore. But if you negotiate the price early on, that's going to follow you through the relationship because that doesn't get changed with trust as much as things like when, or, you know, how you get paid, whether it's credit card or ACH or check or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's like, it's a, I think it's a safer, more productive thing to negotiate. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of other situations. What other, what other things are negotiable uh, in, in various situations? Deadlines. Well, from delivery Deadlines. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Deadlines. Yep, absolutely. One what, 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 what of my favorite quotes is, um, uh, oh, what's his name? The guy who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Douglas, Douglas Adams. Adams. Said, I, I love deadlines. I love the whooshing sound they make as they fly by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm extremely uh, careful about agreeing to deadlines. But if somebody, you no, know, see, here's the thing. Like, if this gets to a pricing thing, uh, the deadlines gets to a pricing thing. Because if I if I needed to commit to a particular deadline, I would, yeah, this is a whole new there's a whole different conversation. I, I would orient the proposal in a different way because the risk profile is dramatically increased if there's a specific hard deadline. So, uh, but certainly that is the kind of thing that you can certainly, even if it's not deadline, if it's more like estimated deadline even or rush service, that kind of thing. So, um, oh, oh, here's some other things to negotiate. So if somebody says to you, oh, um, we can't do it we really want to work with you. We really want option two, but we can't afford option two. Then something you can negotiate is the start date. So you could say maybe this was true when I did a lot of, when I was doing primarily development work, the holiday season, there was seasons that were busy and seasons that were not busy. It happened every year. And mm -hmm. what I would say is, all right, uh, I will give you that price if we can start in October instead of in July. And 
you know, because I knew that October was going to be slow or whatever the slow season was going to be and have that on the calendar. So that's like, that's like, like a done deal, you know, and they, and they, uh, maybe they would say yes. You know, that's, that's certainly something I've never had somebody take me up on that. They go, nah, we don't want to wait that long. We'll just pay you. But it's the kind of thing you could negotiate to sort of slot them into a time of the year or some part of your business that is not at capacity. Yeah. And I've, I've had good luck with kind of using deadlines, you know, hard deadlines that are set by the client as justification for hundred percent upfront payment. Uh, you know, basically make the argument that, look, we've only got five weeks to get this whole thing done. And I'm pretty sure you guys want me to spend as much of that five weeks as possible actually working on your product and not chasing your accounting department to try to get them to cut me that check <laughs> that is now two weeks late, you know, and that's, that's been really surprisingly, uh, convincing, uh, you know, I've made that argument a couple of times and both times been kind of surprised when they're like, Oh yeah, good point. Yeah. Okay. We'll get you a check out today. And it's like, okay, mm -hmm. great. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Here's another one for rush service. If you, if, uh, if somebody does have a tight deadline or, or what I refer to as, an aggressive deadline, <laughs> then you, and you can justify the hundred percent upfront because you're going to have to go get a bunch of bodies to help you fill in, you know, like, uh, to maximize the odds of hitting this deadline. If you want me to be able to guarantee this deadline, I'm going to need a budget to go out and get some people to help me on my end to, to do this up. And they're not going to be taking net 60 from you. So, uh, you know, I, one time I used the line, uh, I'm not in the business of making business. I'm not in the business of loaning money to my clients. So, you know, it's like, I need that money up for, if you want this, if your hair's on fire and you really need it by black Friday, then we need to pour some money on this. And I need the money now because I'm going to be going and getting contractors or whatever. I'm going to utilize an assistant to take a bunch of other things off my plate so I can focus on this exclusively or whatever. And that, that is convincing. So I don't, I feel like hopefully this is translating. I, I fear that there are people listening that are like, yeah, but none of this applies to me. Mm -hmm. And the, the, what I would say to that is it applies to everyone, it, but at a different scale. So you, yes, you need to have some level of security financially in order to, to be willing to say no to work that comes through the door. So yes, you need to have some kind of level of, of financial security to be able to feel comfortable walking away from a job and, and it's, and you might do, do something that goes against this advice to do it, but it's dangerous because it does potentially lead to that vicious cycle. So if you feel like it's utterly impossible to do this, you might just be weighed down in the bottom of this whirlpool of of bad clients leading to worse clients leading to worse clients. So at some point, the way up is to uh, polite, start politely saying no to people. You might be pleasantly surprised that they end up, they end up agreeing anyway. And now all of a sudden you have more profitable work with a client that's less stressful, that's less demanding, that's not going over your hours entries with a fine tooth comb every week and wasting your time with administrative stuff. Also, another another thing to do uh, in addition to giving yourself some kind of financial footing from which you can kind of have this degree of confidence, 
The other thing is to get more leads. If you're getting a lot of leads, it's even if you don't have a ton of money at the moment, if you're getting a lot of leads, you'll feel like at any moment you could just pick one of these leads and just like say, yeah, and get started. So, so probably I'm going to guess that anyone listening to this, that's just like, I'm, you guys are smoking the drapes. There's no way my life will ever look like this. There are two things you can do to, to, to get yourself to the point where you can start saying no to bad work, basically uh, saying no to discounts. One is get some kind of financial security. And that might mean cutting your expenses for a little while, putting some money in the bank. It might be uh, having a, a, I don't know, it might mean having a a full-time job and doing this on the side as a side hustle. It could mean having a sort of icky hourly client that you don't have the greatest relationship with, but you only work for them 20 hours a week. So you still have energy left over to do some of this other stuff to give yourself a financial basis and do some marketing to attract more leads. Because once you start getting a lot of leads, then you can be a little bit more cavalier how you deal with them and a little bit more picky, basically picky about which ones you work with. Yeah. I I think the whole thing hinges very strongly on being able to negotiate from a position of strength, as Mm -hmm. they say. Yeah. Uh, and if you are just living paycheck to paycheck and, you know, are really worried for your financial well being about any particular prospect not working out, uh, it's really hard to to negotiate from a position of strength and to, you know, be prepared to walk away because really that is kind of the the biggest trick of the whole thing is being being able and willing to say, no, I, I can't do it for that and I won't. So, you know, good luck finding somebody that will. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that changes a, a good number of minds, uh, but you have to be willing to say that and confident to say that. Totally agree. Right. Right. I, I mean, I, I'm, I want to agree with everything you guys are saying. Um, <laughs> no, and I, I am, I am, I am agreeing with the way I not like I want to, but I can't. It's I, I agree with everything you're saying and I just want to sort of back it up even more. Like I'm sure when you start off consulting, you're like, oh my God, this, this is ridiculous. What? I'm going to get calls from clients and I'm going to be able to say no to them and I'm going to dictate to them dates and, and times and rates. Yes, it will mm-hmm. happen. It takes time, right? It's not going to happen from today till tomorrow, but it, it will happen. Um, and when it does, it, it's a nice feeling. And along the way, you can sort of ratchet up that position of power and the perception that people have of you um, in these small ways. Um, and, and it gets better. I mean, it's not always perfect, but it's often pretty good. Yep. All right. Maybe we should, uh, go on to some picks. Um, Jeremy, what's you got this week? Uh, I'm going to go with the same pick I had last week. Uh, increase your consulting rates.com. Uh, Oh, that's not quite right. I just screwed that up. Um, <laughs> increase your consulting fees.com. Uh, that's a, an email course, uh, about how you can deliver additional value to your clients, uh, largely just by making things that you're already doing more obvious. Uh, Did, should, yeah. should I grab increaseyourconsultingrates.com? Oh, maybe. If <laughs> 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 you want to <laughs> uh, steal some of my cheese. Jonathan, what you got? Uh, I'll pick uh, Learn Your Lines. So it's a short mm-hmm. 
PDF I wrote that uh, has, I think, nine or ten different answers to the question, can I get a discount? And, because you'll get all different kinds of variations on the, the question, can I get a discount? It'll be like, there's the, um, you know, we're a nonprofit, can we get a discount? There's the, we haven't got the money, can we get a discount? There's the, we just don't do things like that. Can we get a discount? There's a bunch of, I'm pretty sure it's nine different types of discounts. And then I give you exact lines to say back, depending on what situation you're in. Uh, in, in addition to a bunch of other, you know, essentially lines for you to learn for those sort of tricky situations when a client puts you on the spot. You know, they, they, they ask you a kind of, aggressive question or they have, uh, you know, some, some sort of thing like that. Discounts is the biggest piece though, because it's something that you can pretty much guarantee you're going to get asked, you know, can we, can, is this your best price? Can we get a discount? It's going to happen. They're going to have all different reasons and there are a bunch of ways to reply to that. And I, I give you the exact ways to do it. Uh, some even, some even, I'll give you a casual way to do it and I give you a more businessy way to do it depending on what kind of business you're in. Uh, but so you can check that out at jonathanstark.com slash pricing. And there's a, and learn your lines is one of the options on that page. And that's it for me. Excellent. So I have, uh, for this, this week, the first half of a two part, uh, pick. So, um, I'm going to pick transistor.fm. I have been toying for uh, probably about two years now with the idea of doing a podcast for training. Um, and so uh, just Jackson, um, who does a lot of, um, you know, product stuff and uh, encouragement of people to do products, he's decided, I think we might mention this best, like he's going to do a SaaS. And his SaaS, along with a guy named John Buddha, who I don't know, but I've been interacting with, um, they decided to set up transistor.fm, which lets you create and distribute and do all sorts of other stuff to podcasts. Uh, now I have no experience with any other podcast uploading facility and so forth. And it is definitely new and it's sort of in the beginning stages and there are a few things that are broken, but everything that I've reported to them as being broken, I guess only one thing so far, he said, Oh, I'll fix that. And within an hour or two, it was fixed. So it still has the feel of really nice, small, uh, responsive startup. And so, so my pick is, Transistor, which I've been impressed by so far. And uh, the second half of my pick will probably come next week when I think I'll have enough episodes recorded that I can provide you with a URL for my uh, podcast about training, which will go into more detail that I've been able to go into here. So there you go. Cool. Nice. And that is it for this week. Guys, this was great. Um, Worth the price, painful price for this podcast. <laughs> painful price, yeah. <laughs> uh. And uh, by, by, by the way, folks, like if you come to my courses, the, 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 the humor is just as bad. So you know what you're getting into. Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks, guys. Uh, Jeremy and Jonathan. And thanks to all of our listeners. And we will be back next week on The Freelancer Show. See ya. See ya. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.